Dawn, Emily Dickinson. When night is almost done and sunrise grows so near that we can touch the spaces, it's time to smooth the hair and get the dimples ready and wonder we could care for that old faded midnight that frightened but an hour. Good morning. It's a cold one. It's dark. The sun hasn't risen yet. Any sailor will tell you it's always darker, that little bit bleaker, just before dawn. The worst shift, so we would do two-hour shifts through the night, and the worst shift is those hours just before the sunrise, because it's the coldest it's the most difficult. You have to check that the navigation lights of boats coming towards you. If you saw them in the day, it would be obvious, but at night everything's jumbled up, everything's scarier. If there's wind, it's windier. If it's cold, it's colder. Just everything's more difficult. If I happen to be on a shift where the sunrise is coming up, I don't really care about how beautiful the sunrise is. I just care that I'm going to warm up. My shift is going to be over. And I won't have that anxious feeling a little bit in my stomach because it's the daytime now, so everything's more innocent, everything's easier during the day. So then, and then I'll go in for my sleep. The nicest sleep when the daylight has come up and I can just relax. So, <laughs> yeah, that's for me is the morning. You probably should have interviewed someone who really does actually like the mornings. <laughs> How often in recent years have we been told that it's darker just before dawn? We've been told that the days will brighten, there will be light, but first we have to endure a little more of the darkness. Wave after wave, we waited, we watched, we were all at sea. I'm Regan Hutchins, and I once made a radio series, Morning, Noon and Night. I wanted to travel slowly through the waking and sleeping hours, everyday actions, a walk to school, an afternoon nap, a night prayer. I wondered what our daily routines might say about our worldview. Well... It was broadcast in the early spring of 2020, and in the weeks that immediately followed the broadcast, our mornings, noons and nights became strange lands for most of us. We lived in a world of new rules, guidelines, restrictions, unimaginable. The everyday actions and places, from a handshake to a holiday, were now a source of fear uncertainty, intense joy and gratitude. So in this second series of Morning, Noon and Night, we'll cross paths with this new everyday. We'll make time, again, to pause and think about how we spend our hours. We'll take a snapshot of some aspects of our world as it is now, some familiar, some less so. 
we'll hear found sound, music, poetry and prose. We'll talk to old friends and we'll make new ones. We'll begin with a morning walk by the sea, just before sunrise. Do you have the exact time? It is five to seven in the morning. Una McGowan is a good friend of mine, and every year since she fell in love and moved to France, I visited her in the old shipbuilding port city of Saint-Nazaire, near Nantes. Saint-Nazaire Harbour used to be a very, very big um, commercial port. This is where a lot of the ships left in the 19th century to go over to America. The biggest cruise ships in the world are built there today, and the port has a constant thrum which can be heard behind closed windows. We're walking before sunrise around the port and along the seafront. A small boat is lit up in the dark. A sailor calls as he catches a rope thrown by a man on the harbour and the boat slips out of the lock and into the ocean. Container ships fishing vessels and pilot boats have all left the lock all morning and the ocean is carrying them away. Where was that boat from? Jersey. And what was a, like, what, what kind of a vessel is it? I still, I'm not sure. It definitely wasn't a fishing vessel. I think it's, it was a research vessel of some sort. The gate to the lock is closing slowly. A little gull has just landed on it for the ride. Yeah. He has. He has. Do you think it'd be easier for him to fly? You'd be quicker, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> rush hour on the water is over, and before rush hour on the roads begins, Una and I walk along the seafront to her house, where she lives with her husband, Jean-Francois. Do you see the seafarer centre? Every port in France has a seafarer centre, and it's for all the seafarers that come in to port. They have a... There's a pool table, there's a bar, there's a um, TV. And apparently there's one in every port in France. And it's written in English, Seafarer's Centre. Yeah. I'd love to go sometime. Uh, I was just about <laughs> to say, I bet you'd love to be stuck in with I'd them. I'd love to. I said, they've good, they've good crack there sometimes. sans <laughs> Saint-Nazaire is surrounded by very picturesque, touristy places. And nobody ever appreciated Saint-Nazaire. They said it was ugly, because it's a very industrial town, for sure. But I've always loved it. So I used to have the seafront to myself. And unfortunately, well, fortunately as well, because it's good for Saint-Nazaire, a lot of people are beginning to appreciate Saint-Nazaire. So the seafront here, where we are, gets too busy for me. So I like to come out in the morning when... You see, there's just a couple of runners. There's usually the same people out. I don't see them today. There'll be maybe five of us, the most, and that's that's what I'd like. I can see my ships leaving. I can daydream about where they're going. <laughs> and I just have my town now where I live to myself um, in the morning. Yeah. 
Oh, this guy's out walking with this dog. It's a beautiful dog. Um, I can imagine the lives of all these people. The man walking his dog. I often wonder who is he, where does he live? Is the dog happy? <laughs> and it just feels like a good start to the day. And it makes it makes, connects me to where I am, you know? Because some, when you work at home, like you work at home as well, you don't leave the house sometimes. You can forget where you are. I always think the French, you know, they're all going to melt or something because the minute there's rain, they, as they would say themselves, in there's not a cat in town. Like, everybody's <laughs> hidden in their houses. And I love it. And I come out and see front. And I think everybody goes, oh, that's a mad Irish woman out in the streets, you know, <laughs> in the rain. Be careful with the cyclists coming here. They come mad fast in the morning. the tides in between tides we might not see the boats come out now oh we do see we, we see one already look what are you looking at oh do you see the boat leaving the leaving the harbour there yet yeah. I also wonder how do they feel leaving like that are they happy to leave you know if there's the wind and the waves just going into bad weather because for me when I see them there's a part of me that wants to be there to go and just not even know where my destination is but just go out to sea and then there's a part of me that's so happy that I don't have to go out to sea and I have a home when I go to bed <laughs> this evening in a warm bed <laughs> but I suppose if you, that's your job you must love to go out to sea no matter what I guess I remember those mornings. I remember how bright and warm they were. I remember I'd get up early, get out of the tiny house and over to the Phoenix Park nearby. I'd leave well before the North Circular Road was filled with joggers and dog walkers and childminders. I remember they were saying that the virus was airborne, Cover your mouths. No singing. The Skylark was also airborne, and those mornings in the spring of 2020 were filled with its song. If I'm honest with you, that song was one of the only things that got me out of bed on those mornings. For one hour under an empty Dublin sky... I'd listen to the trills, clicks and whistles of the tiny lark song. They rose above our world of tuneless WhatsApp bleeps and crinkled Zoom voices. And I'd stop to listen and to lift my head. The vapour trails of aircraft had mostly vanished and instead I could barely see a fluttering dot, high and determined, calling out to the future. The song is a downpour drenching the meadow. Its words are, look at me, listen to me, have me. Our future depends on it. Their future 
depends on us. Dot to dot, I traced lines of larks rising, falling over and again, but never carried away. Their work is serious. It's not a bad thing to get out of bed in the mornings and to be able to lift your eyes from the ground up into the sky. In the spring of 2020, I couldn't count those skylarks, those tiny dots. Instead, I counted my blessings. The lark in the morning, she rises off her nest and goes up in the air with the dew on her breast. Like a jolly ploughboy, she whistles and she sings and comes home in the evening with the dew on her wings. Roger the ploughboy is a bunny blade. He goes whistling and singing by under lone shade. He met with dark-eyed Susan, she's handsome, I declare, and she's far more enticing than the birds of the air. He met with dark-eyed Susan, she's handsome, I declare, and he bought her wreaths of ribbons for to roll on her hair. I know not everyone can face the larks in the morning, Sometimes you just need to hit snooze. Daybreak John Dunn Stay, O oh sweet, and do not rise. The light that shines comes from thine eyes. The day breaks not, it is my heart, because that you and I must part. Stay, or else my joys will die and perish in their infancy. My name is Chandrika Narayanan Mohan and I'm a writer from India living in Dublin. I wrote this piece about moving house on Christmas Eve during COVID, where I was on my own because I couldn't be with my family. So here it is. It's Christmas Eve morning and the room feels wrong. I open my eyes to blank walls, to a hollowness. In bed, things are almost as they should be. Two duvets, hot water bottle, warmth. But outside the safety of this mattress, things are at an odd angle. I've woken up somewhere that doesn't feel like home anymore. I have loved waking up here. The mineness of the moments alone. I love the weekends where I would open the blinds and get back into bed, watching the buttercup yellow sun streak along my walls, touching the corners of my posters, breathing itself onto the plants on the dresser. I love looking up from bed and seeing nothing but a blanket of blue sky, punctured by the swoop and the caw of the seagulls nesting on a neighbor's roof. The buses wheeze by, but now they feel a part of things as well. They are the soundtrack to the feeling of brushed cotton against my skin, the soft love of warmth at my feet, where my socks have been kicked off in the night. 
I've woken up unhappy here too. Unhappy alone, but far more unhappy in company. On days when I remember I am still trapped, in a way. When I remember that a life should be bigger than a single room. A room too small for two people, so when they leave their jeans on the floor and take up half the bed, I roil with a small rage and pretend I want them here. Get out, get out, get out, I say in my head. Pick up your fucking socks, I say in my head. Leave us alone. These are the things I didn't say to the people I cared for. But they heard it all the same. My first night lying in this flat, three and a half years ago, I cried myself to sleep. I'd never lived in a studio before. Lying there in the darkness, the buzzing of the fridge felt like it was vibrating through my skull. The sounds of the night city, full of shouts and screeches and lumbering bosses, kept me awake. I had moved from a large apartment, where leaves rustled against my window and I felt loved by the walls, just not by the person I shared that home with. And so... I moved here, and over time the buzz of the fridge became a comfort instead of an intrusion. The ability to lie in bed and cast my eye over my entire home in one glance became reassuring. The single set of fairy lights, long enough to ring the entire flat, gave me a blissful, pretty peace. I have left the lights up until last. I look at them now and think about unhooking them. Soon. Within the hour, I will. But we're not there yet. The sun is still licking its way along my remaining belongings. It makes the room feel less empty. It fills the hollows of my shelves and softens the edges. Enough procrastinating. It's time to wrap up. But I will let the bright winter morning accompany me, guiding me through my closing motions. And in a few days I'll wake up somewhere new. Somewhere a little bit more mine, with more walls and more space to love and welcome others, where some of that rage can simmer away, where maybe there'll be more peace. I can feel it already. There are some days It hurts to wake up There are some days her hands, I miss her lips, it hurts to wake up, and no one kisses like she kisses, there are some days, no one holds me like she do, it hurts to feel love, but no one makes me feel so there blue. are some days, and nights I wish and days I pray, it's better but maybe I should find my way Wake up alone 
do we celebrate the everyday because we can? Or don't we celebrate the everyday because we can? Of course, I don't. What's to celebrate about sitting in this old arcade in the middle of a city, drinking coffee, watching baristas at work? I've forgotten all about restrictions. I wonder how to spend my morning in the city where I live. I drift in and out of daydreams, sitting on this bench, lulled by the coffee machine's whir, thinking about where to go next. And what amazes me now is how normal it all feels, for me at least. One thing I won't do this morning in town is go clothes shopping. Though early morning is a good time to do it. I hate having to try stuff on. Shops are hot and loud. I always need to wee. I'm usually unhappy with how I look in the mirror. And most things just don't fit me. My friend, Shauna McNally, wants to take me shopping. And that's a different story. Shopping hasn't always been a comfortable experience for Shauna either. Sometimes our everyday actions can be milestone moments. Like shopping for a decent bra. We'll go shopping not too far. Like, sometimes I love shopping. I guess recently, since the pandemic, I've done a little bit more online shopping, which is always hit and miss. You what know, what it, would you describe as your style? I don't know, what would you say? I think I'm like casual streetwear, is some of the hashtags that would probably, I would type into the internet. <laughs> Um, mostly I'm just wearing a pair of jeans and a cute top or a dress over some leggings or something like that. That's today anyway. Jeans and a cute yeah, top and a yeah. lovely jacket. Oh yeah, this nice jacket. This is one of those wax. You know, they're weatherproof and you wax them when oh, yeah. the colour kind of fades. Oh. And I love it. Even though it's a bit posh for me. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be amiss in a pair of riding boots in it, you know? Um... <laughs> So coming into department stores for me used to be horrible really because like when I was a teenager and young adult, like coming into the department store like this would, I would be screaming inside, feeling like guilty, feeling like shame and all of that stuff because, you know, I was a young guy buying women's clothes. Um, you know, it was a huge ordeal and like, like, say for example, I wanted this coat. Like, I would wait till there's not many people around it and then I would go check it out. And then I would have a plan to get me to the till without interacting. And then sometimes I would get like funny stares, like, you don't belong here kind of stares. And then you just push through that in your mind and just like, it feels horrible, but you do it. And now, I don't even think about it, you know? I mean, it's there, I can remember it, and I have that point of view, but, um, like, I don't think twice, and that's, I guess, because I'm lucky to pass.
this is a trans woman here. It's just another woman and it's fine, you know? So for a number of years, I would have been blurring the lines of, like, I came out as a gay man and I was wearing, like, women's jeans, women's clothes, but, like, they were gender ambiguous. So, like, if I was in a charity shop or something, you know, it was, like, <laughs> a weird time, you know? I guess one of the most unsafe places in any shop uh, is the lingerie and underwear section. So let's go there. So follow me then. Follow me, it's just up here. <laughs> the coming out thing was difficult for me because I knew in my heart that I wasn't gay, you know? I was a woman, like, underneath it all. And eventually, I started looking in the mirror, and I was getting older, and I could see my brothers and my dad in the reflection, and I panicked, and I was like, no, I can't, I can't go that way, I can't go all the way that way. When you start living authentically, you, like, you can't really put that back in a box. You can't put that on the shelf in your brain and forget about it anymore. Yeah, the lingerie section was like, if I was trying to pick something out when I was a teenager or whatever, it would be like pretty much a no-go area. Like it would be too much for me, you know, to go into the ladies' intimates, you know? But obviously now it's completely different. Now I'm like most other women in that, like my body is pretty awesome now, but you know, like trying to find the right bra is a nightmare because I guess my frame and I have small boobs. So trying to get a small cup with a back that's a bit like more adult is like trickier. So like I'm looking at all these bras. So it's like treasure hunting, you know? If I was going on a date or I had a new partner, I would come and get a new set of lingerie. You know, it's for my excitement in it as well. Like you want to feel sexy first time. Yeah, shopping has been a very big experience for me growing up trans and like, I remember one time getting myself knee-high boots and like a dress and some underwear and stuff and it was a whole new outfit and I was beyond excited and it was something I couldn't share with anyone it was just for me and my self-image and How old were you? Oh I guess probably 15, 16 yeah I was brave but you know I never told anyone until I was probably 24 or something my girlfriends Cis people come around and borrow my dresses all the time and like will loan me some and I get a lot of hand-me-downs off uh, my girlfriends as well. Like they're all excited to dress me up, you know. My friend Nicole actually, she's from Los Angeles and she loves to dress me up. So Like she, a doll. <laughs> yeah, like so for her for her wedding I was her maid of honour and, uh, and uh, she picked out my whole outfit. You know, and, and it's like, this is what you're going to wear on the wedding. And I was like, sure, it's your day, you know. Um, but I let her because she's great taste. <laughs> um. 
The Rivals, James Stevens. I heard a bird at dawn, singing sweetly on a tree, that the dew was on the lawn and the wind was on the lee. But I didn't listen to him, for he didn't sing to me. I didn't listen to him, for he didn't sing to me that the dew was on the lawn and the wind was on the lee. I was singing at the time, just as prettily as he. I was singing at the time, just as prettily as he, about the dew upon the lawn and the wind upon the lee. So I didn't listen to him as he sang upon a tree. And so, off to work we go. My morning commute is very often a five-second hop from the bed to the table at the other end of the same room. On that tiny journey, I carry my hopes and my doubts for the working day ahead. Where will I begin? Will I be productive? Will a good morning's work set me up for the day? I'm like an artist standing before a blank canvas in her studio. Well, this is an exceptional morning. Not one single cloud on the sky. For the artist and educator Sylvia Loeffler, the morning is when we show up. <laughs> when I meet Sylvia, she had just shown up at her studio at the old Coast Guard station in Dunleary. This row of Victorian cottages is right at the former coal harbour and for ten years Sylvia had her studio there. It's um, uh, very small. You could hold three people sitting in it. It has a very small desk, has extremely high ceilings and if the window is open and uh, we pop our heads out we can see Dublin Port. <laughs> I came across a work that I thought was really, really interesting by, uh, I think it's a German artist called Anna Lehmann-Browns and it's called Sun in an Empty Room. She was interested in sights of the night, like nights, nightclubs, and she would take a photograph when the first beam of light hit them in the morning and how it changed the location. And I'm often, often thinking about this transformation or transition that happens, say, with activity at night. Uh, and then uh, there is this empty place and you can just see this. It's almost like church-like. That kind of like sacred moment of the light hitting it. The morning would be the time to show up. The notebook might have a blank page or there might be uh, empty sheets of paper on, on the wall of the studio or on the table of the studio or I might have uh, fabric pieces laid out uh, and I'm just looking at them. But the ideas that had come maybe late at night or over a longer period of time, it's almost like the impetus the morning is that you put that out there and it's suddenly not like just in, in your thoughts anymore or in, in, in ways of the subconscious. So the morning is the offering of the light.
I feel that as older uh, I get, the more appreciative I am of the first light. And I love to watch uh, the first light coming in. And it takes me then a while to, to get ready and, and go out into the world. I do go for morning swims. I do, and I, I like that very much. I hate to rush in the morning. I feel that the whole day goes uh, pear-shaped if you, if you rush in the morning. Obviously, we don't have a choice, and sometimes it is like that. And that's why many people hate Monday morning, but I work in the studios usually on, on, on Monday morning, and I really love it because I just go in my own pace. And I do like to read in the morning because also that I feel slows somebody down. If you read something really beautiful in the morning, the day becomes better. I think the duality of what happens in the evening or how you work, like if you're late at night, but then to show up again in the morning, and I really like that. Soon we'll be thinking of lunch and watching the day stretch like a cat into a long, maybe lazy afternoon. But that's for the next time when we visit noon. I'm Regan Hutchins and you've been listening to Morning, Noon and Night. Thanks to all the contributors and to Yvonne Cullen for her readings. These are the best mornings if we can just turn out of our own doors and head left or right as we wish, if, as Sylvia Loeffler just said, we simply get to show up.